Good morning. I want to call you back to your seats. Call you back to your seats. Grab the last bit of coffee, whatever we got left. I'm good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited about where we're going for the next four weeks, um, simply because I think it's good for us to um, take take an account of our hearts. So we're going to be looking at songs of the heart. And if anytime you start talking about songs and you start talking about preaching, what you're talking about is the book of Psalms, not songs and psalms. That's kind of that's a wordplay that sounds like. Does he sing songs or psalms? I, I could say it real quiet, and you have no idea. Um, but songs for the heart in the book of Psalms. P S A L M S. It's a Hebrew word. You got that P? Yeah. Yeah, how, yeah the, like the, the third grader, how is Psalms with a P? See, I told you that will mess your mind up, right? Um, um, one of the things that we, we do here each and every day, with the exception of Sundays, we do this thing called the CBR journal. And um, we have those journals in the back, but essentially what it is is a reading of the Old Testament and New Testament every day, and then praying and journaling about that passage each and every day. And so we've got this journal, and you guys feel free to pick one up if you don't have one or if you're running out of one. Um, like I am, I'm running out of all the pages. Um, just pick one up in the back. It's for you. And the, the psalm that we're going to be looking at today is actually the psalm that was read as a church, as we read as a church yesterday, which is Psalm 32. And one of the neat things about CBR is that you will read through the New Testament in, in the year. And you'll read through the Psalms every three years and the Old Testament every three years. So if you're, if you're consistent with it, you're going to read the whole Bible. Not a lot of people do that. And, and the CBR, uh, the, the really neat thing about the CBR journal is what it's called, is that they've just released an app called the CBR Journal app. And it is really helpful. So let's say you're just slammed and you didn't wake up and like a good Christian, you're supposed to, and do your quiet time. Um, you can actually, on the app, do it, and then you can click listen to it. So if you're on your way to work and in the car, and, and you're just like, I don't know what to listen to, listen to the Word of God on the way to work, and then pray through the Word of God uh, when you're getting there. So I, I just cannot st- uh, stress the importance of it. And, and let me just say this. Doing your devotions or reading God's Word, it, God does not... like credit you, oh, you are so good. You're not like going to get a gold star from God. You're just going to experience God more. The beautiful thing about reading God's Word is that you connect with God. John, The book of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. His Word is His expression to us. It is who He is. And so when we read His Word, we connect with Him. We experience it. And so all, all I'm trying to do is to get you to experience God through His Word and to do it every day. So today we're going to Look at Psalm 32. It is a song for our heart. With that being said, let me read Psalm 32. If you don't have a Bible, you can look in your bulletin. You you will find the insert there, and the Word of God is printed there. Psalm 32 in its entirety. A mascal of David, which is just a song of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed and with bit and bridle. Or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. There are good songs and there are great songs. I'll remember when I was in middle school getting ready to sit the bench for my basketball team. That during warm-ups, um, a song came on the, 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 the speakers in the gym. And it was a song that perfectly fit the mood. This was 1996, and the movie Space Jam had taken over the country. The song was Hit em High, Busta Rhymes. Anyone know? Let me tell you something. A good song captures the mood. And Hit em High perfectly captured the mood of a basketball game. Now, unfortunately, I didn't get to play. But you see, good songs capture the mood. And I was ready to play if I was called upon. Great songs, however, not only capture the mood, but they capture your heart. There's a great song by Aretha Franklin that we all know. In fact, it's such a great song that I guarantee you if I started to sing it, you would join in with me with singing it. R-E-S-P-E-C-T you know <laughs> see you know it that's a great song and so not only does it capture the mood sometimes but it captures your heart if you know anything about why Aretha Franklin wrote that song you know that she was struggling to find respect from her husband you see good songs have the ability to do that to not only capture the mood but to capture our heart and here's the thing about Psalm 32. It's a great song. It's a great song because it not only captures our mood, but it captures our heart. Let me show you real quick how I think this captures our heart. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. I think that this is something that maybe you have not uttered specifically, but it is something that many of us have experienced. Look what he says. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Perhaps like me, you have been so depressed that it is hard to get up out of your bed in the morning. It feels like your bones are literally wasting away. David, who is writing this song, is saying, this is how I felt. Do you know what I feel? He's saying. But he continues, verse 4, For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I think this is just a, a parallel way of saying the same thing. I am depressed. And the depression is my own making. 
This depression is my fault, but I can't get up out of bed. See, great songs have the ability to not only capture the mood, but to capture your heart. And David here is capturing something that we know deep in our hearts, and that is the heart that is in sin. I know sin is not something that we talk about all the time. You know, so often, and especially in our world, and especially as you get older, one of the things you will do is you begin to rationalize away sin. You start to say, oh, I made that decision because I was raised in a home that did not support me well. Ignoring the fact that you were the one that made the decision, nevertheless. Yes, you might have been born in a home that neglected you, but you were the one that still did the action that is now has you in the midst of your troubles and in your trials. I, I, I really pause to say this, but one of the things that I think, that the, the, there's, again, I want to be very cautious here, but I think a lot of the depression that a lot of us feel in our lives is a result of our sin. Our depression is a result of our sin. And I know that that's not always the case. And I'm not telling you that's your case. But I'm telling you, I know that the depression that I have felt in my life has been a result of my sin. Let me give you an example. In college, I was head over heels for this girl. She was the first girl who ever showed great affection for me. And I bought into it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, I thought, finally, a girl that I like likes me back. And a month into our dating, she looked at me and said, we're done. And what happened to me? I found myself on the bed, not with the ability to get up. When I think of verses 3 and 4, I think of me being dumped by the girl. I dated her for a month. Like, it was... What was my fault? What was my problem? I was looking to her for life rather than from God. And when it was taken away, I didn't have life. It was my sin. And I had to own it. But here's the thing about Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is not primarily about our sin. Psalm 32 is about the forgiveness of our sin. And though we take and look at verses 3 and 4 and kind of expound on it and enter into the song, the song is primarily a song of a forgiven heart. Of being delivered out of depression through sin. It is a song of a forgiven heart. And here's the question I want to ask you today. Are you depressed? Perhaps you lean into this great song this morning and find the joy of the psalmist who says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed is the man against the Lord whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Who can say, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts Him. This morning I want to ask you, are you depressed? Well then I want you to consider this question. Do you have a forgiven heart. Do you possess the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 32? It's a question I want you to consider as we go along. How are we going to discern whether or not we have a forgiven heart? There's three things that I want us to consider in this psalm. Three characteristics of a forgiven heart. The first characteristic I think it's important for us to realize of a forgiven heart is that a forgiven heart is honest. A forgiven heart is honest. 
Look at with me at verse 5. Look at what David says about himself. He says, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I want you to see that David is very honest before God. And while it seems like he's using three words that are largely capturing the heart of wrongdoing, these three words, though they generally capture wrongdoing, actually mean three different things. The first word that he quotes before God, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. The word sin is hatah in Hebrew. And at its essence, hatah is a wrongdoing against a moral standard. David realizes in his sin that he has broken the moral standard that God has set up. If you're not familiar with a moral standard, it is essentially the law. And to the Jews and to us, that moral law is best described in the Ten Commandments. And so David, though we don't know the specifics of his confession, is saying this, I've broken your Ten Commandments. I know what it's like. I have done something wrong against your moral standard. I have sinned. Let me ask you this. In your life, do you have a moral standard? Do you uphold God's standard, which is ultimately what I'm trying to do? And if you do uphold it, can you see the ways in which you sin? You see, a forgiven heart understands that it has break, broken a moral standard. So often today, though, the moral standard has been lowered. The moral standard of our world and of our culture is derived primarily from social media. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it is literally the thing that is sweeping our world. This political correctness. That the standard is what is politically correct. But the Bible says that there is a standard, a moral standard, that does not flow, ebb and flow with the ways of the world. The moral standard is secure. If you want to know what it's like to have a forgiven heart, you have to see there is a moral standard and that you have broken that moral standard. The second word that David gets very honest with is the word iniquity. Iniquity. Iniquity is, I, I think, and I hate doing this, is probably a bad translation. The reason why I think it's a bad translation is when you look at the end of verses 5, it says, you have forgiven me the iniquity of my sin. Many of us think of iniquity and sin as being the same thing. But what is David saying is, I have not covered up my iniquity. Well, the word for iniquity in this particular text is avon. Avon really captures an emotional response. Or simply put, it is our guilt in response to our sin. And so perhaps as a child, you know you've reached into the cookie jar when your mama told you not to do that and you took it and you got chocolate all over your face and she comes to you and says, did you take the cookie? And you feel a bone, the guilt of taking the cookie. Mm-mm, I didn't take it. See, David says, I did not cover up my guilt. I stood exposed before you saying, I took the cookie. And of course, God sees the chocolate all over our faces and things like that. But David got really honest saying this. Yeah, I did not cover my iniquity, my guilt that I felt. Let me ask you this. How often are you covering up the guilt that you feel? Oftentimes, we um, don't like the feeling of guilt. 
And one of the ways we do it is we we will really rationalize away our guilt. Don't do that. David got really honest and said, I have sinned against, I have broken the moral standard of a holy God and I understand that if I do that, I am guilty before Him. Naked, exposed, here I am. Don't do it yourself. Because if you do it, you will never experience a forgiven heart. Because you've got to be honest. The third word that David uses to get real honest with God is transgression. And you see this right there, the third phrase. He said, I confessed my transgressions before you. The word transgression is derived from the Hebrew word peshah. And what this word ultimately captures is a rebellious self-assertion. David understands that at the heart of his decision to break the moral standing which brought about the guilt was this. Ultimately, it was rebellion against God. It was David looking at God saying this, I know how to live my life better than you do. I know how to live it, and you don't. And David here acknowledges before God and he confesses to Him, you know what? I've been a rebel. I have committed cosmic treason against you, God. And I stand before you in danger of experiencing your judgment. Just judgment. You can pay me back for what I have done because I have transgressed your ways. Do we realize that when we sin or when we transgress that what we are doing is we're committing cosmic treason? That we're trespassing against the God of the universe who has every right to put us away. This is what David has done. He was blatantly honest. He did a moral inventory of his life, recognizing that he has broken God's moral law, recognizing that he stood before God guilty, recognizing that in his guilt and in his sin, he had trespassed. He had gone his own way and was deserving his wrath. Do we understand that? See, until we confess our trespasses, until we uncover our guilt, until we acknowledge our sin, we will never experience the forgiveness that God gives. One of the reasons why I think church is so often joyless is because people in the church don't confess their sins. They don't make a moral inventory of their life. They think, if I really did a moral inventory of my life, if I really studied deep in my heart, God would reject me, just like the people in this world would reject me. I mean, if people really knew who I was, personally speaking, if you knew who I was, this is my thought, you would run for the hills. If I revealed to you the selfishness of my own heart, if I revealed to you the idols of my own life, I guarantee you, there wouldn't be this many people in this church. There'd be probably my family. That's it. And she's made a vow and commit. Oh, she might not even be there, right? <laughs> and this is the lie we believe. But not so with God. Because what does David ultimately say in verse 5? You forgave me. And look at what this says about our God. Despite us being broken, despite who we really are, God forgives. He forgives us. We're going to get in why He forgives and how He forgives in a second. But I want to ask the question, do you possess a forgiven heart? Have you made an honest inventory of your life and confessed your sins to God? Until you have, 
you'll never experience the forgiven heart. Because a forgiven heart is honest. The second characteristic that I want you to see of a forgiven heart is that a forgiven heart is humble. A forgiven heart is humble. In jumping down to verse 8, we encounter a different voice in the psalm. It is the voice of God speaking to David. Listen to what God speaks to David. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Indeed, a forgiven heart is not only honest, but it is humble. And it is humble in this way. It trusts God with instruction and teaching on how to live life. The forgiven heart does not look to oneself. The forgiven heart looks to God for life. I love to ask this question, what is humility? If you get me in a conversation about the important characteristics of leadership, I would tell you the most important characteristic of leadership, hands down, is this phrase, a, a leader is humble. But what is humility? What is humility? We, we, we often don't know what it is. And I always come up with these, these two kind of sentences. And if you've been through leadership development with me, you know that these two key sentences that I talk about with humility. First, humility is an accurate view of yourself. Humility is an accurate view of yourself. It's an honest look at your life. And it is an acknowledgement of both your weaknesses and your strengths. In this particular case, a forgiven heart is very honest about one's weakness to following God's law. And so a humble heart acknowledges one's ways against God's law. We just saw that. So a humble heart has an accurate view of one's life. But the second thing that a humble heart is, is that a humble heart trusts God and others with oneself in its weaknesses and with one's strength. And that is what we find in verse 8. God here is saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then he says this, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. God is saying, I know the way. And even if you don't think I know the way, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a bit and bridle so that you will go the way that I want. It's just not going to be very painful. Or it's not going to be very pleasant. A forgiven heart says, Lord, your way, not my own. If I choose my way, your hand will be heavy upon me. If I choose my way, ultimately I will find myself on the floor, strength dried up as in the summer heat. A forgiven heart says, your ways, O Lord, not my own. Instruct me and teach me in the way I should go. Indeed, this is a characteristic of a forgiven heart. Do you have the humility of a forgiven heart? It's a good question. Do you persist in your own ways? Or do you continually look to God and trust Him with His ways? A forgiven heart does that. So we've seen that a forgiven heart is an honest heart. A forgiven heart is a humble heart. Lastly, we're going to see that a forgiven heart is a healed heart. A forgiven heart is healed. At the end of verse 2, there is a phrase I want to draw your attention to. 
that when flipped, it captures the essence of an unforgiven heart. Look at the end of verse 2. It says this, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Based off the Hebrew structuring of this psalm, which is is called parallelism, it's easily deduced that what, what David is saying in this says is this, happy is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. That's ultimately what he's saying. Happy is the person in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so when we take the inverse of this phrase, we can deduce how miserable is the one whose spirit is deceitful. Now, I, I want to I focus on the inverse of that statement and, and really focus on how miserable is the one in whose spirit is deceitful. And we're going to look at that word deceit. What is at the heart of that word deceit? Well, the Hebrew word here is Ramayah. The Hebrew word is Ramayah. And, the, and this word ultimately captures this. It's treacherous. It's presenting something different. It's fake or phony. And let's think about this. The unforgiven heart has to present something that is different, fake and phony, to be loved and accepted. One has to put on a mask in order to be received. And so an unforgiven heart has to deceive to be received. An unforgiven heart has to deceive to be received. And of course, this pattern of deceiving to be received has been happening since the beginning or since close to the beginning of creation. You know this. Adam and Eve transgressed against God's ways, deciding to go their own way. And the result of it was this guilt and shame. And what did they do? They put fig leaves over themselves to try to cover their guilt and their shame. They tried to deceive one another to be received. If you've been to church, you know that oftentimes the church is one of the greatest places of deception that there is. That people walk into the church with masks over their face, afraid that if you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. You wouldn't receive me. But David says this. David says this. Happy is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, a forgiven heart is a heart that doesn't wear a mask. A forgiven heart is one that doesn't deceive. If you think about it, the unforgiven heart is deeply sick. So I gotta, gotta go back to that mask. I can't be known. I gotta go back. I gotta go back. Like an addict who looks to life and substances and saying, I gotta go back. That's the only place I know where I find life. I gotta go back. So it is with the heart that's unforgiven. I need that mask to deceive people so that they might receive people. A forgiven heart, though, has been healed from such mask wearing. It's been healed. And how has a forgiven heart been healed? First, a forgiven heart has been forgiven. I know that sounds silly, but it's been forgiven. Meaning that there has been payment made for your transgressions against a holy God. And Christian, let this text make your mind go to the cross where Christ, who knew no sin, went to the cross for your sin, for your transgressions. He did not have to cover His iniquity. He did not trespass against God's ways. But He died a death 
that those who did transgress and did have, it stands before guilty. He died a death for your forgiveness. The very payment required for your actions was paid for by Christ so that He might extend forgiveness to you. So that when we read this, we don't go, how in the world does a holy God forgive me for my rebellious actions, for my treasonous actions? We must here look to Christ whose death is our death, whose life is our life. The forgiven heart knows the justice that comes from forgiveness and knows that that justice comes through Jesus. When we get that, when we understand that our treasonous actions are forgiven, you become healed. There's another thing, and I want to draw your attention to verse 11. A healed heart is a righteous heart. Look at verse 11. Not only has the mask come off, but there is a new description of those who have been forgiven. What does verse 11 say? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. How can we be healed from our deceitful mask wearing? How can we become people who stand before God righteous, unashamed, standing before Him, acknowledging and being honest about who we are, humbly trusting Him? We must know that a healed heart is a righteous heart. But it's a righteousness not of our own. It's a righteousness that has been counted to us, given to us as a gift through Christ Himself. One of my pastors and one of my favorite mentors of all the world, he, he would, anytime he was doing this, this new church membership and helping people come into the church, he would always ask this question, and I still do it here too. He says this, I want you to answer this question. If you were to stand before God tonight and you say, why should I let you into heaven? How would you respond? And so everyone gets their paper and they write on this piece of paper, okay, I think. He says 95% of the people who answer that question get it half right. They'll say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. That's about, that's about the essence of, of, of their response, which is true. How do we receive forgiveness? We receive forgiveness because Christ paid the debt that we had on us and we looked at Christ, we experienced that forgiveness. It's that first part. But he always tells this part because most people don't understand the true essence of how we indeed stand before God. He says, there's only about 5% that get it right. And the right answer to this question is not only that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but His righteousness is now credited to me. That His righteousness, the life He lived, the goodness that He, that he displayed all the days of His life is now counted towards me. That I stand before God, not as I have done or what I have done, but as what Christ has done. And the whole point is this. A healed heart not only understands that justice has been served through the cross, but that one stands for, before God, not naked and unashamed, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. When we get that, when we understand that not only are we forgiven, but that we stand righteous before God, 
my friends, we'll have a healed heart. And we'll stand before God and say, you know what? (laughs) We can be honest. Yep. I transgressed your ways. Many of you probably aren't familiar with the, 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 the typical customs of our liturgy of why do we always do this? And, and, and one of the things that's, that's strange to some traditions is this confession of sins. Why do we take the time to confess our sins over and over and over again? Every week we're confessing our sins. Why are we doing this? Because it's true about who we are. We've got to be honest. We've got to be honest about who we are if we want to experience the forgiveness of it. And the whole sermon is pointing us back to Christ who forgives us and makes us righteous. But we're, we're reminded each and every week, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Those that are healed ultimately understand what the psalmist said in verse 7 and verse 10. A healed heart understands that there's protection in the Lord who gives you shouts of deliverance. Mine, Christ says. No! Sin doesn't define you. I define you. Who understand that when you trust the Lord, He protects you. A forgiven heart is a healed heart. So let me ask you one more time. Do you possess a forgiven heart? Do you know the joy that comes in the forgiveness and righteousness through Christ. If so, may you rejoice in the Lord once again, whose shouts of deliverance and steadfast love surrounds you. Let Him remind you once again that you are forgiven and righteous, that your debt has been paid for by Christ Himself. Or are you like David, who found himself at one point on the floor of his room, unable to get up, depressed because of his sin, If this is you, this is my commendation to you today to heed verse 6 of Psalm 32. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. And so my friends, if you find yourself depressed because of your sin and because of your action, do not wait. Confess your sins. Uncover your iniquity. Acknowledge your sins to Him today. Honestly assess the inventory of your heart, confessing your ways to Him. And you too will receive the forgiveness given to us through Christ and the righteousness that enables you to walk into His presence as a son or a daughter. My friends, believe. Believe that God is good and He can forgive and accept. What a great song. Let me pray. Lord, Lord, we thank You for Your servant David who wrote these words amidst his experience of Your forgiveness and righteousness which has been counted towards him. We are reminded, O Lord, that all of this has been made possible through Christ who lived a life that we couldn't live and died the death we deserved, whose forgiveness then is extended to us. We're reminded of His words as on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And certainly that is often the case with our sin. And we thank You for this, this song that reminds us that we have forgiveness from You. Help us, Lord, to not put the mask on, but to live honestly and openly before You and others, trusting Your ways, resting 
in your grace. Heal our hearts, O Lord, especially those that don't know your forgiveness. Amen.